Okay, so today I'm talking with probiotic expert Natasha Trenev, who has written five books on probiotics. Her probiotic standards have been read into congressional record, and she is also the owner and founder of uh, Natron Probiotic Company. So thank you, Natasha, for being with us today. Thank you, Jenny. You know, you always have a soft spot in me for when you mention the word probiotic. Why is that? Well, because it's my life's work, and you know, probiotic. Oh yes. <laughs> so you know, probiotic is, is something that's just been uh, lately in the news, uh, whereas I've been talking about it for at least thirty years. Exactly. And I, I think people don't realize that either because probiotics are such, you know, they're more of the hot topic field of the moment and people don't realize that there's so much misinformation in this field and there's so many people in who've just joined to kind of get on the trend and make a buck. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I, I love to interview you who's been around and you have one of the biggest research libraries on probiotics. You have a full-time microbiology PhD on staff so your information is, is always grounded in science, and that's why um, I particularly like to question you about probiotics. Absolutely. You know, well, I've dedicated my life to, number one, the definition of probiotics, the application of probiotics, and the education about probiotics, uh, which all fields are three equally important criteria in order to get uh, something that's uh, what I call the foundation of your health understood by the masses. Exactly. So let's talk about those masses today because mm-hmm. I was in a business meeting and the people I was talking to said, so should a normal person like me take probiotics? Because, of course, as you know, I specialize in natural healing for digestive diseases. And, of course, so anybody with Crohn's or colitis or IBS definitely has to be on uh, high-dose probiotics. But what about the normal people out there? Well, should let me they just be t- taking yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, absolutely. Three times. It's like location, location, location. You know, uh, people don't understand, number one, I'll give you a very brief description. Uh, you know, 90% of your uh, biological makeup is bacteria, and only 10% is human cells, according to numbers. So uh, the the number of bacteria in every a function of your body, especially your GI tract, is enormous. And we just scratched the surface in understanding that. Uh, number two, you know, uh, 70 to 80% of your immune cells are found in the GI tract, and these immune cells uh, directly communicate with the bacteria that line the 27 feet of your GI tract. And number mm-hmm. three, uh, your second brain is found in the GI tract, uh, you actually have more neural endings in the GI tract than you do in the first brain. And these bacteria do have a implicit impact on how uh, your thinking goes and how your thinking is affected. Uh, you know, uh, the old adage, I have a gut feeling, is very much mm-hmm. apropos with the new science we have at hand. Uh, you know, having said that, then then we look at the others. We look at how many mothers are able to pass on these beneficial bacteria to children in westernized countries. And I've seen a trend since the 1970s where all of these beneficial bacteria, their numbers and the variety that's being passed on to infants in the westernized world is not good. In fact, in the U.S., 
I think we're like 37th or might, might be even the 40th now in the world uh, on the health of our infants. So that infant health is directly correlated to the type and variety of uh, bacteria they have present in their gut. So then on top of that, you add the fact that stress and poor diet will definitely mitigate what uh, species of bacteria grow more readily in your GI tract. And having seen firsthand the explosion of obesity in young children, not just from inactivity, but for the consumption of, uh, you know, high carbohydrate, simple carbohydrate foods and fats that do alter uh, the composition of the bacteria in the gut. In fact, there's now a term equating itself to what we call uh, a, a fat person's bacterial composition versus a thin person's bacterial composition in the gut. Mm-hmm. So that that that's another point, and and you know uh, another point I want to make is that uh, s- the stress that we're under today diminishes the colonies of the beneficial bacteria, and this has been proven by animal studies. And and uh, uh, we know that so many young people have diet uh, have not only dietary issues, but they have gastric health issues. I mean, uh, they're even yeah. giving uh, medical preparations. Uh, to infants as young as six months old who have projectile vomiting. So we know that this ecology has been damaged permanently and it's not contributing to our, to our good health. And if you, need exactly. the, if you need the final and most compelling reason why you need to take this bacteria, the fact that you're aging. The fact that you're aging, you lose this beneficial bacteria. So by the time you're 40, depending on whose data you believe, you can lose up to 40 to 60% of your uh, bifidobacteria in your large intestine. So uh, whatever, whichever way you look at it, these uh, beneficial bacteria are essential to our good health, and we know that the ingestion of these beneficial bacteria daily has a profound uh, effect on the positive health of individuals. And simply, if you look at the cultures who used to ingest fermented foods like yogurt or kefir on a daily basis and how healthy they were. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are just, you know, elements from the top of my head. And I'm sure if we had a much more in-depth conversation, we could take it on a, on a different level. Yes, definitely, because, I mean, you're obviously you're giving the, the, like you said, just the stuff off the top of your head. And even if we just took one piece of what you talked about, like, for example, the, the um, bacterial profile of a thin person versus an obese person, I know you've sent me, you know, paper after paper after paper just on that one topic alone. But, yeah, mm-hmm. this is a podcast, so we can't go too deep on, on this type mm-hmm. of format. But, you know, one of the things that occurred to me as you were talking is just that whole thing about, should normal people well do we have any normal people left in the western world i mean really if you you look around no i I think if you're talking about really healthy people i mean how many people do you know i mean to me a healthy person uh rarely if ever gets a cold uh rarely if ever vomits you know uh, rarely if ever has diarrhea or constipation so you know you, you have to somehow establish a criterion Oh, for what describes a, a normal healthy person, a person and, that and we've you know, lost we've lost the norm because when you look around, the norm now is an unhealthy person, and especially for children. 
You know, mm-hmm. what's considered a normal child, and the doctors say, oh, it's normal for children to be sick all the time. They're just developing their immune system. Well, it, it's so not normal, but we've lost our reference point for what's normal. Oh, and thank you for bringing that up because I had huge arguments with people who say that the reason we have children who are so hypersensitive or their immune system is so hypersensitive is this, you know, uh, what they call the sanitation theory, that they're not exposed to enough germs when they're young. And I said, that only works if you have a good defense system already established. It it can be, you know, very counterproductive and even dangerous if you expose a child to the elements and it has a very poor uh, you know, mix of beneficial bacteria in their GI tract. So you see, we're, we're, you know, and even when doctors say that, I said, how can you say that? You're assuming that the child has already developed a good combination of bacteria in their gut when it's, it's exactly the opposite from the n- numerous studies we have in westernized cultures and how infants are not healthy according yeah. to what the norm is. Which, if they were in a more, quote, primitive or traditional society, they would have been, and their mothers would have been eating unprocessed whole foods. They would have been eating naturally fermented foods as part of their diet. You know, you just can't even compare that kind of a foundation to what's considered a normal diet in our culture today. Exactly. I'll just give you one small example. Uh, And, for instance, a study that uh, Dr. Gerald Tannock which both of us know did a few years ago, uh, regarding the normal flora of infants in uh, New Zealand and Britain versus uh, infants in Ghana. And, you know, I have been a big proponent of bifidobacteria infantis, and lo and behold, the infants in Ghana had this, you know, particular species of a very important bifidobacteria in their gut, and the children in the westernized countries, such as New Zealand and Britain, did not have it. And what yeah. we know about the Infantis is it's probably the most important uh, beneficial bacteria for the downregulation of the immune system. What that means is that, you know, communicates with the immune system. It tells it not to overreact when it's confronted by normal proteins uh, passing the intestinal barrier. Mm. So is that why, because I know another thing you've shared with me is a lot of um, research recently, this is clinical trials that have been done on the B. infantis with people with irritable bowel syndrome and them them getting Mm -hmm. a hugely favorable response. Right. It could be one reason. We don't know. They don't, you know, it it takes many trials to figure out what the mechanism is. But, you Mm -hmm. know, irritable bowel syndrome is a catch-all phrase for, the mind-gut connection and why people are not digesting their foods and, and having bouts with, of diarrhea or constipation or what we call nervous stomach. They haven't really identified, but I, you know, from my experience, and I can say only from my point of view, I definitely feel uh, that it is a, some kind of an ecological shift in their flora that's causing this you know, terrible problem. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for, go ahead. No, I was just saying, remember, they, they, the doctors always talk that IBS is psychological, and I'm certain that on a certain level it is psychological, but, you know, it, it's the question whether it's the chicken or the egg, uh, yeah. you know, which came first. So is it the psychological that's fueling the IBS or the IBS that's fueling the psycholo- uh, psychological now that we know about the second brain? Exactly. Well, and also, um, you know, the brain-gut axis and them dis- discovering that depression goes two ways. You know, they used to think exactly. that, oh, depression is, a, you know, an imbalance in the chemical in the brain. Well, no, actually, it can originate from the gut <laughs> and then travel up to the brain from there. 
Yeah. Okay, so... so Exactly. For, so what I'm trying to tell you that normal, my, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, my my 40 years of work, and you know, this is if nothing convinces anybody. My 40 years of work and dedication in this field has definitely led me to believe that there are certain things that we need on a daily basis to make us healthy, and a good selection of a good probiotic combination is something that every person should be investing in, and that's what I call one of my foundation supplements. And whereas people have got to stop going to stores and uh, getting the flavor of the month, I think they have to establish a criterion as to what is the foundation of their health and what, uh, you know, the diet they have to follow on a daily basis, what exercise regimen, and what, you know, uh, dietary supplements they need to take on a regular basis to maintain a normal, healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And speaking of a good probiotic supplement, I just did a blog post on that very topic um, called Probiotic Selection Criteria. And mm-hmm. in there I go through every single element that must be in place from the culturing of the bacteria through to the extraction process through to delivery to the retail outlet mm-hmm. that needs to be in place backed by actual clinical research and you know scientific papers um, to ensure that the probiotic at the end is potent and it's bioavailable and it's actually alive at the time mm-hmm. of consumption, right? which you I know, know is a huge difference between your products and um, most of the products on the market. Is, is, I, is there any other company in North America that guarantees the number of live bacteria through to the expiry date, not just at well, the time of packaging? Yeah, there's a number of companies that are trying to do that, but, you know, it's very deceptive because they they give you the total bacteria count, but they don't tell you, you know, how much of each organism they have. Yeah, And then second of all, that guarantee is meaningless because it's not validated by any independent agency. You just have to trust Mm -hmm. their word. Exactly. You know, and then... yeah, I mean, for instance, we're audited by the uh, Therapeutic Goods Agency in Australia, and we do have our international drug GMP certification, which means that for the last 10 years, our label declarations have been validated by a neutral party, a government party, that has no uh, agenda to make us, us look good. Yes, exactly. Now tell me, I'm going to move on. Tell me what you mm-hmm. think about prebiotics like fructooligosaccharides and inulin, because I know for people with IBD and IBS, we have found that these are not good substances to add Mm -hmm. to your probiotics because they're just not well tolerated. They really increase bloating. But tell me how prebiotics, what's your opinion on prebiotics for, quote, normal people? Right. Even for normal people, let's define what prebiotics are. They're really, you know, indigestible sugars that become direct feed for the microbes that line your 27 feet of GI tract. And anything that's indigestible will cause gas and bloating and other problems unless it's particularly formulated to be absorbed by the bacteria that you have in the product. And many times, now let's put it this way, I have not found one marketer of prebiotics and probiotics that has specifically uh, uh, formulated the product whereas their bacteria are guaranteed to absorb that sugar that they have it mixed with, that indigestible right. sugar. And, and the, that to me is unconscionable. And I think that uh, feeding indigestible substances to a 
very complex microbiological bionome that you have in your gut is like, you know, uh, throwing darts at at an unknown uh, entity. And Mm -hmm. and you don't know uh, which one of the possible thousand species of bacteria are going to jump on this food. You're making an assumption that only the beneficial bacteria are going to like this, but there's no such science that proves that. So you could be feeding the bad bacteria instead. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'll tell you, there was the, when, when the concept of uh, fructooligosaccharides first came out, the ones that were first introduced, and they were made, by, uh, by the way, by a chemical byprocess that was not known to many people, buried in the research was that it also stimulated the growth of uh, Klebsiella pneumoniae which is a very uh, unpleasant uh, pathogen that's a prolific biofilm former, and it's not something you want to stimulate in your gut. Right. And so okay. that, that's my whole point, that you know, I, I, I'd like a clear-cut uh, species and strain of probiotic. I'd like a clear-cut guarantee, and I'd like some a track record. I mean, is the company who's selling this product doing this as an adjunct to their, you know, 400 products that they're already offering or 100 products, or is it the company, you know, specializing in this field, which is really unrelated to dietary supplements because it's really microbiology? Yes, and I I don't think it should be regulated the same as dietary supplements either. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are live organisms. Exactly. yeah, it's a, it's a it's it should be under a different uh, set of rules entirely. I agree. So now, can you give us just in the couple minutes we have left? Can you give us a protocol, and uh, you can go ahead and use your products um, when you mm-hmm. give the dosages out for people to follow? Because sooner or later, everybody gets put on antibiotics. And that's mm-hmm. got to be one of the most damaging parts of our, you know, healthcare system. So could you give us a protocol, a dosage protocol, that somebody should follow during and then after their course of antibiotics to uh, protect and, and maintain their gut mm-hmm. flora? Well, I generally tell them, and, you know, we'll go with the flagship product, the Healthy Trinity, uh, to take at least one capsule two hours following their antibiotic dose and every dose that they take of antibiotics. So if they, for instance, have three doses of antibiotics during one day, then they should be followed two hours later with one healthy trinity. And we encourage uh, everyone not to disrupt their uh, uh, intake of these antibiotics and to stay through the course because that's very dangerous uh, when you interrupt because you give the bacteria that were slightly knocked out a chance to come back much stronger and do much more damage. And so when you follow the rules and you stay on this course uh, on the antibiotics, then for at least two weeks thereafter, whatever dose you took while you were on the antibiotics, you should double your probiotic dose. If you, let's for instance, took the uh, Healthy Trinity three times a day, taking one capsule, then for two weeks you should take the Healthy Trinity two capsules three times a day for at least two weeks, and that's to help out with any of the areas that where voids might have been left by the decimation of the probiotic you've been taking. Exactly. I mean, because following antibiotics, your, your risk of secondary or opportunistic infections increases exponentially because, like you said, you've left a void, and so mm-hmm. something's going to come in to fill that. And, and so you take whatever that, dose. Go ahead. Yeah, and not only that, you know, the prevalence of resistance to antibiotics has not decreased. 
it's actually increased since I started talking about it. And it's becoming much more prevalent, and especially in hospitals. And, you know, hospitals are not issuing these records of, you know, the problems that they have with C. diff or staph or even this new protein out of India that renders a lot of pathogens impervious to uh, antibiotics. Hmm. And, 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 and I think it's, it's really behooves us to uh, understand the health strategies that we need for the 21st uh, century. Yes, exactly. Because obviously the antibiotics are not working <laughs> very well. Well, let's put it or this way. They, they, they may work short-term, but long-term yeah. you're just setting yourself up for worse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what they do is that antibiotics are very necessary to save a person's life under critical care. What the mm-hmm. problem has been that we've been using antibiotics for prophylactic or you know long-term care, and that's caused the problem. It's really an emergency drug for serious situations and should be taken very seriously. And I think that doctors, um, not having anything else to prescribe, just give it to their patients if they come in there even with a cold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, if the person cannot take capsules or they're having a lot of diarrhea or they're a child, so they want to take the powders instead, what would mm-hmm. the dosage during and following probiotics be for the powders or antibiotics? Well, uh- well, I would say a one teaspoon of each powder of each bacteria, that which would be then three teaspoons, uh, two hours after the antibiotic, uh, and that would be continued for how many uh, courses you take during the day, and then when you're finished, again, double the amount for as many times as you took it a day. Right. Right. Gotcha. Okay, that's perfect, Natasha. Mm-hmm. And that's all the time we have for today. So I'm going to wrap up. Now, if anybody wants to find out more about Natasha and her probiotic products, you can go to www.natrin.com. That's N-A-T as in Thomas, R-E-N as in nothing, dot com. Or you can call their 1-800 number. They've got really great consultants that you can actually speak to about your problem. It's one 800 462 8736. That's 1-800-462-8736. And if you want to check out my blog post on the probiotic selection criteria and why, that's at my website, which is listentoyourgut.com. So thank you so much, Natasha. And you know what I was thinking? Maybe we can do another um, podcast where we speak specifically about the bacterial soil organisms. Oh, I'd love to do that. That's, you know, uh, something I'm very passionate about. And I think the information needs to get out. Yes, because that's a bit of a hot topic. And again, there's a lot of of, um, crazy information floating Mm -hmm. around about the usage of bacterial soil organisms. So that would be a a good topic for us next time. Absolutely, Jeannie. I always love doing these with you. And listen, this this topic is endless. We could do uh, uh, mountains of these podcasts and still be be, uh, long on information. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, and uh, God bless to all your listeners.